Hello again, it's Ken Drews. Thank you for joining me. On today's show, I'm going to talk about some of the pitfalls, the foibles, the problems, the discoveries of getting ready for a garden tour. I've been talking about that for the last few weeks. I am going to be on tour. I'm at the crazy stage. I think I've I've crossed over the peak of Mount Everest, and I'm on the downhill slope, but oh my goodness. Stay tuned for Adventures in Garden Touring. Clem Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Oh, I've got so much on my mind. You know, a couple of weeks ago I asked people to send me emails on some of the plants that have become monsters in their gardens or in gardens in their area that were purchased. Plants that were intentionally brought into the garden and we have a winner. We have one right at the top. Oh my goodness, it's the chameleon plant, Hatonia. And oh, what a monster. Uh, if you plant this plant, and it's sold just about everywhere, it has multicolored leaves. It's a ground cover about oh, 10 inches tall. It's green and yellow and red. That's the leaves. It has little white flowers, single white flowers. It is edible, the plant, the leaves, but that's not going to help. But if you have this plant, you will never get rid of it. You will have it forever. Another plant that was brought up by some of the listeners is broom. On the West Coast, the yellow Scotch broom has several names. Some people say French broom. Yellow pea flowers in the spring covering the hillsides in California. And that plant uh, is still sold in some nurseries. What a monster. Hmm. Well, purple loosestrife used to be sold in all the nurseries, but I hardly see it anymore. Berberis. Berberis is banned in several states, but still sold lots of places. Uh, I was uh, thinking about pl- some plants like forget-me-nots. Those can really spread around. Hmm. There was uh, one plant we were going to photograph for the next project, and we found out that the very place we were going to photograph it, that it's been banned there, and it's on the watch lists in many other states. Well, there's plenty of plants. If you have a favorite monster, I have a favorite monster that I brought into the garden. Maybe I'll talk about that in a second. But if you have a favorite monster that you still see for sale in nurseries, you know, like uh, Norway maple, Vinca minor, Heterohelix, English ivy, these, these plants that get around, usually plants that spread, plants the kind of plants that your friends want to give you because they have too much of it. You know, they call it pass-along plants. I call it pass-along pests. But if you have a favorite evil plant, tell me about it in an email at kendrewsrealdirt at yahoo.com and share the name of the monster that plagues you. (laughs) My monster definitely is Ixorus. I got it from some gardeners in Vermont where it's not really a problem, I guess, because it's so cold. But for me in my garden, I would say this spring, one-third of the time I have spent in the garden has been... Oh, I'm exaggerating. One quarter of the time I've spent in the garden has been weeding Ixorus, trying to get rid of it, and I have barely put a dent in it. And now it's going to flower. This is a plant that creeps along, and it's a little viney thing. Every place it touches, it roots right in with very deep roots. It's tiny. The leaves are the size of a fingernail. And now it's going to flower. 
lovely yellow daisies, about nickel-sized yellow daisies on little stems, maybe three inches tall. And then it goes to seed, and all those seeds sprout, and they all come up. And if I didn't weed this thing, my gravel garden would be all Ixorus. What a monster. Well, that's, that's just some of it. But you know what I want to know? Is there a phrase for plant and weed mimicry? Isn't it funny how you're growing something you really love, and then there's something right next to it that looks just like it, but it's a weed? How does that happen? Why does that happen? Maybe you have a, a nice hydrangea and, and there's, a, <laughs> there's a stinging nettle that looks just like hydrangea and it's right next to it. Has it happened to you? Happens to me. I, I have lots of Acer Nagundo, which has three leaves and it's a tree, but it, when it's young it kind of resembles poison ivy, but it is right next to poison ivy and they're both growing together next to other plants. Poison ivy. Well, I'm, I'm not the big hater of poison ivy like some people because I know that it has great value to wildlife. It has berries, white berries in the fall, and beautiful fall color. But it has white berries in the fall that the birds love to eat and other animals love to eat it. Uh, but uh, we humans are allergic to poison ivy, almost all humans, but only humans. And that is so weird. No other animal is allergic to poison ivy. Why? How does that serve poison ivy? Poison ivy also is an important plant for erosion control, and you've probably seen it growing on the dunes and the beach, maybe in Cape Cod. Well, it really keeps the dunes from being washed away. It has a good use and purpose there, too, but just stay away from it. I once heard of a person getting poison ivy on their skin on a very humid day just because the oils were covered in the water, carried by the water droplets in the air on a humid day. Ah, oh, we get it. I get poison ivy very easily, and my kind is the kind that you can hardly see anything on my skin, but uh, it itches. I can't even sleep at night. And I know other people who get oozing blisters, but it doesn't itch at all. It's weird. I guess we're not going to get a grant to study this, I think, but uh, you probably have your own stories about poison ivy. And um, if you use Technu, T-E-C-H-N-U, that's a, a soap, a liquid soap that you use after exposure, and you have to follow the directions. You rub it on for about two minutes, and then you wash it off, and I don't really care for the smell. Uh, it's not terrible. It's just kind of soapy. But it, it breaks up the oil, and Technu works. And I follow almost every trip into the garden with a good hand-washing of Technu. Of course, I still get poison ivy, but not like I would if I didn't use the Technu. And I pull the poison ivy with disposable gloves or other gloves, but usually disposable gloves, very carefully put it into a plastic bag to throw away in the trash, not in the compost, and then I turn the gloves inside out to remove them and drop them in the bag into the cr trash again. Uh, with the poison ivy, and sometimes I'm lucky, but sometimes right around the cuff of the gloves, I get a little spot, little tiny red spot or a little tiny white spot, and that's it. Well, you can get a prescription for 2% hydrocortisone cream, and that will let you sleep for four hours. And you have to put it on again, but uh, poison ivy. There's There's lots of problems in the garden. And even though poison ivy bothers us, it's nothing compared to Ixorus. And, it's, and they're both nothing compared to 
Japanese stilt grass, which has come across the garden like a wave. It's as thick as lawn in some places, and I've been weeding and weeding. I've been weeding for weeks. I've been weeding since, I think, the end of February. We had a very early spring. I've certainly been weeding since March. And this weekend I had some help weeding from Mary Meyer, who's a professional gardener. And she volunteered to help me prepare for the garden tour. Garden tour, the garden tour. Hmm. Ten years ago, I had a garden tour here at this garden. I was asked by the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, and I'm very fond of them. And I let them bring one bus. I I fought a little bit because getting ready for a garden tour—that's all you can do. All you can do is get ready for the garden tour. And that one, I think, was in May, and it was it was delightful. But I know how much work it is, and I know how much it costs. It costs a lot of money to get ready for a garden tour. I mean, unless you're a professional who has your garden open all the time, or if you have staff. And I don't have staff. I thankfully have volunteers uh, from time to time. But uh, I vowed not to do it again. And I've had a few groups of, you know, four to six people I've... I've donated a tour of the garden for charity auctions, but I've I've avoided the tour until about two years ago. I got approached to allow a tour to come to the garden, and I got pushed and pressured and pressed and pushed and pushed, and it's a good group, and I finally decided that I would do it because it is the way to get the garden in shape, to really get it in shape. You have to, you have to do a lot, and there were were a lot of reasons, there are a lot of reasons that the garden needed to get back in shape. For one thing, the garden's kind of older now and needs a lot of pruning and rehabilitation. But the main problem, the main thing is the 2007 flood. And here it is, 2010 or 2010, and I'm still cleaning up from the flood of 07. And that's the flood that deposited uh, almost two feet of sand on parts of the garden, on parts of the beds. And um, I'm, I still got little piles of sand, but I'm trying to get the garden back. And that means a lot of pruning, as I said, a lot of weeding. Thank goodness for Mary's help. And Mary's husband, Carl Garland, came too. And I, had, I wanted to mulch some of the beds, and I really can't afford to mulch all the beds that I have because I have so many. And the soil isn't so good, and I wanted to get some compost into the soil. And Mary Josh, who's been helping me with the garden as well, and kind of talked me into having this tour, she found a source for compost uh, that was allegedly clean compost and good quality and very inexpensive. So we went with Mary's truck and we took a couple of of trips and we got two and a half cubic yards of compost at a very good price. And then we were taking it off the, the truck and putting it in piles and uh, Juan Miguel Suarez was here, and he he grabbed a shovel, and we're shoveling it out, and we're putting it on tarps, and and then it started to rain, so we just left it and covered what we could, and it got kind of, it kind of got like chocolate pudding. It started like chocolate cake, and then it went to chocolate pudding, but then I wanted to use it, and to my surprise, this compost that was such a good deal was not really very clean. Well, it had some trash in it, but that's not such a surprise. It had pieces of plastic bags. There wasn't anything too scary or dangerous. But there were rocks in it and stones. And I think it was almost a quarter of rocks and stones. So we decided we had to sieve it. We had to sift it. 
And Carl took that on. He spent two entire days sifting what was inexpensive compost. And I've learned my lesson. There's no such thing as inexpensive compost. Carl made a frame with half-inch hardware cloth and kept shoveling the compost onto it and pushing it through with his hands. And it finally did get clean. Two days later, I'll be right back. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello again. Thank you for staying with me. It's Kendrew's, and you're listening to Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And please do visit the website, kendrews.com, if you'd like to make a comment, kendrewsrealdirt at yahoo.com, K-E-N-D-R-U-S-E-R-E-A-L-D-I-R-T, run all together, at yahoo.com. You can tweet me, you can, at uh, kendrews, run together, K-E-N-D-R-U-S-E, at twitter.com. And... Hmm, thinking about the tour. Well, several years ago, many years ago, I wrote an article for the New York Times, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, uh, but I thought maybe I'd try to read some of it to you, and I'm sure, I'm sure you'll find it as funny as everyone else did. <laughs> It'll be funny in two weeks after the tour. Now I'm not so sure. And I, I didn't mention that the Brooklyn Garden, my little garden in Brooklyn, is also on tour the very same day, June 6th, and... The one here in New Jersey is sold out, but the one in Brooklyn is open to the public, and you can still get tickets for that, and we'll post a link on the radio website, which is kendrewsrealdirt.com. Hmm. Snippers, snackers, and garden tour gaffes. Charity tours, backyard parties, or simply swapping visits with fellow enthusiasts, whatever the particulars, trekking through gardens has become the voyeur's national pastime. This year, and this is several years ago, the Garden Conservancy's National Listing Open Days offered 450 private gardens to visit, up 50 from last year. Now, now it's probably much more. In that sense, garden tours have become the new house tours. On a house tour, people may look under beds or rifle through drawers in the garden. They may trample your beds and filch cuttings. In both, you will probably find yourself staring down barbarians at the garden gate. The second week in June begins one of the best times in my New Jersey garden, when the iris and poppies peak and the roses begin their show. The star attractions are the Himalayan primroses, bearing tier upon tier of tropical fruit-colored flowers on silvery celadon stems below my archstone bridge. So when a friend asked if she could take her house guests along on a tour, I said yes. As a half-dozen friends walked through my house to the garden, the houseguest spied a plant in the sunroom. I have that plant, he said. Mine's bigger. Sansevieria cylindrica, I said. Oh, no, 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 that's not it, he said. It's snake plant, or mother-in-law's tongue. Mine bloomed once. Snake plants bloom, you know. I should have pushed him off the bridge. Instead, I kept walking, smiling, and he kept talking about his snake plant. I think it's my pet peeve when someone comes to my garden and talks about his plants, his garden, and barely looks at mine. It's just plain rude. But rudeness pales compared with other tourists' misdemeanors in the garden. Snoopers, snippers, stompers who trample through the Solomon Seal, 
or women in high heels, and I'm afraid unruly children and dogs. Then there are the critics. I hate white flowers, one woman pronounced at my gravel garden, where thankfully none were showing. Jean Will, whose garden in central New Jersey is frequently open to small groups, was more than a little annoyed after a two-hour tour when the only comment she got was one person informing her that she had poison ivy growing up a tree. People always point out poison ivy. They think you've missed it. They're helping. I tell them poison ivy has high value among native woody plants. Birds love its berries, and it moves into disturbed land and sand dunes to fight erosion. That usually shuts them up. Because people have paid to go on a garden tour, they think they can treat the place as entertainment, to criticize the plantings, the design, even the health of the plants within earshot of the gardener. A few gardeners know all too well the value of what you have, how much some of your plants are worth, and they want some too. In Britain, a retiring curator of the National Trust Estate said that the bane of his job was visitors taking cuttings, sometimes stealing whole plants. Guests on a tour at Ann O'Connor's garden in Hudson, New York, must have thought that 20 small potted geraniums were souvenirs. Twelve of them were gone by the end of the tour. Dr. Norman Ames Posner said that some people touring his spectacular Columbia County garden occasionally snip cuttings and then have the audacity to bring them up to him to identify. The rule on this is clear. To steal a cutting is bad manners, should be illegal in public gardens, and is a sin in the wild. In fact, one should always avoid interfering with someone else's garden. Sometimes, as a visitor, I absent-mindedly reach down to pluck out a weed, but I stop myself. What if my weed is another man's treasure? Some of us gardeners have skins as thin as an onion. Your companion may be interested to hear you opine that impatience are the equivalent of plastic plants. Your host may not. Gushing on a garden tour is permitted. It's even encouraged, but do it softly. When you meet the owner, offer praise. If you can't say anything nice, say something specific. For example, how long have you grown that euphorbia? Is it perfectly hardy here? Part of the problem is that people assume because they are outdoors that normal rules don't apply. They arrive after the hours of the tour, just as the host is sitting down for dinner. Even worse, they come early when I'm still picking slugs off the plants. If you are early, wait in your car. It would be thoughtful not to ask to use the bathroom. Ms. Will said that asking to use the powder room is usually just a ploy to see inside the house. One time when she attended a garden tour in Greenwich, Connecticut, she was appalled to see the visitors cupping their hands over the windows to see inside the house. Glenn O'Brien, a columnist for GQ, whose house in Bridgehampton was on the artist and writer's garden tour, thought people would be asking about the plants. Instead, he said, they asked things like, So how much did you pay for the house? And who did your pool? Some people treat botanical gardens like parks and treat private gardens like their own backyards. Tourists have actually stripped down to sunbathe on someone's lawn. Katie Porter, who gardens in Mendham, New Jersey, was appalled when some visitors spread a blanket and set up a lunch. I think it can be a general rule that garden tours are not family outings. Some gardeners may have heard the horror story about Eve Thryman's garden in in Delaware, where a young mother finished the tour, thanked her host, and handed her the 50 plant labels her children had collected. 
Narrow paths in private gardens are badly designed for baby strollers. Strollers, perhaps the babies too, should be left at home. Gardens are not childproof. Can you say poisonous castor bean, foxglove, or lily of the valley? I saw a father with a baby in a backpack, completely unaware that his papoose was pulling leaves off every shrub and tree he could reach and stuffing them in his mouth. It doesn't hurt to dress appropriately. For some reason, people think suitable attire for a garden tour or party is a vibrant floral print shirt or dress. Hats are all right, but leave the flowers to the garden. And do not wear high heels unless you've been asked to aerate the lawn. And then please wear golf shoes. I gave a party once on my old rooftop in Soho and watched one woman slowly shrinking as her high heels sank into the tar paper. In England, one's dog is immune from rejection. Here, however, it is a mistake to take a, a dog on a garden tour, even if you plan to carry it like an accessory. And I love pets dearly. Chris Willemson, who has been on hundreds of tours as a member of the Garden Club of America, said that when the Garden Conservancy came to visit in New Jersey, one couple brought a miniature dachshund. If she thought their bringing the little dog was inappropriate, her Jack Russell Terrier, Sadie, thought it was lunch and bolted from the house. Miss Willemson flung herself on Sadie. Just then the members of the Conservancy Board rounded the corner and found her, an apparent lunatic, wrestling a little dog to the ground. Why do we gardeners do it then? Because we are egomaniacs? All the back-breaking labor and the occasional visiting bores are worth it for the one knowledgeable person who comes through the gate quietly, appropriately dressed, without a dog, and says, You've done it. This is it. This is perfection. Those are the people who get plants to take home. Well, in my experience with garden tours, I've been very lucky, and none of these things have happened to me. People have been very, very well-behaved and very appreciative and like the garden very much and can see the garden. Now, a lot of places on the property are just not going to be tour-ready, and I'm just going to tell people up front, what you see is what you get. There is a lot to see. There are a lot of wonderful plants, but there are some places under construction, and it's the tour is like one week away, and they're going to be under construction, but I guess that's kind of interesting. That'll be interesting for people to see. There are patches of lawn that, well, there are patches of dirt that will be lawn, but not by the tour. So what can we do? Just our best. And I'll say, enjoy yourselves. I'm here. I'll answer any questions. I know that we gardeners always apologize. We always say, if only you could be here last week, if only you could be here next week. And that's true there is often one minute in the garden that's the perfect moment. Maybe some of you have, have seen those new garden cams where your garden is photographed on a timer all through the season. Hmm, I might look into that. I probably won't. <laughs> I like the fleeting moments, too, and the changing seasons and the changing weather, but uh, things are looking okay. It was an early spring. I was afraid there wouldn't be anything blooming in the garden, but then it got cold and things have slowed down and the roses are just beginning. So maybe, maybe in a week there will be roses. There'll be things to see. There'll be wonderful people to meet. I'm, I actually am looking forward to it. And I do understand, since I've been on tours, that there's always something to see. And I don't mind a weed here or there. I, I find that kind of human and vulnerable and vulnerability is so attractive i don't know how people make their gardens perfect I, I it always looks so effortless but i know from my experience 
it's far from effortless. And if, if you're not on tour all the time, and if you have to get your garden in shape, as I said, it's a lot of work. It's expensive. The last thing is when you go to buy the plants to fill in the holes, and that can be the most expensive. So far, I haven't done that. Luckily for me, I've been propagating, so I have a lot of extra plants to pop in. But the beds are looking okay, and they're now mulched with the with the compost that Carl Garland graciously, graciously screened for two entire days. Well, after the tour, we'll revisit this, and uh, maybe I'll... I'll talk to some people who came on the tour, and we'll see what they thought. Maybe they'll tell the truth. They probably will. But uh, please join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm here every week to talk to you about gardening and gardens. See you next week. <laughs>